Show Me the State is sponsored by Billiards on Broadway, located in downtown Columbia, Missouri. They are family-friendly and home of the famous Billiards Burger. Fresh ground beef, hand-pattied every day, and fresh-cut fries, hand-sliced every day. And Molly's award-winning chili. Billiards has 12 rotating taps showcasing outstanding Missouri craft beers and 11 of the finest pool tables in mid-Missouri. Billiards on Broadway, a Missouri staple for 11 years. Billiards on Broadway, love at first bite. Marshall is classic small-town Missouri, surrounded by corn and soybean fields. During the 1930s, the community was hit hard by the Great Depression. Farm prices were low and manufacturing jobs were disappearing. Families had little money to spare. Some kids went to school for days without food. People say hungry children would climb apple trees on their West Jackson Street lot to get green apples that their mother had to cut up her own dresses to make clothes for the kids. Underclothes and sometimes shirts for the boys were made from flour sacks. But Marshall residents savor moments of joy when they can. In the rough hotel, people frequently gather in the lobby watching a dog called Jim perform. Little Mary Burge was one of them. She will never forget that day when Jim picked her out of the group. I had a, a red and white dot of Swiss dress on and a red bow with a few white dots. And there were a lot of us around and a lot of children. And he said, go to the little girl with the red hair bow. And he stopped and looked two different places. There were two girls with red hair bows. The other was solid red. He said, go to the girl with the pokey dot bow. And he came over and stood in front of me. Today, the rough hotel is no longer standing. Instead, it has become the garden dedicated to Jim. Next to the garden is the museum. Inside, in the center of the small one-room building, hangs a little girl's red and white polka-dotted dress. The dress is old, and the colors are fading. That's Mary's dress. Her story is a familiar one in Marshall. Just look around the museum where Mary donated her dress. Every piece here contains a memory of Jim. This is his museum. The Jim the Wonder Dog Museum. And everyone in Marshall has a story about Jim and his owner, Sam Van Arsdale. The remaining first-hand stories of Jim exist only on a DVD today, recorded in 1997 and sold at the museum. One Sunday afternoon, we went to the Rough Hotel to have lunch. It was being served. So they set up a table, and on this table they placed numerous canned Fruits, vegetables. We walked through the, the lobby of the hotel and noticed Jim, the wonder dog, was lying there by Mr. Van Arsdale's desk. And Mr. Van Arsdale said to the dog, on that table is one can, and in that can is something that horses eat. Mr. Van Arsdale says, Jim, is there anyone in this room who has a white purse? The dog, without hesitation, walked straight to the table and laid his paw on a can of corn. And he trotted right across the front of the hotel to me. I had a white purse in my bag. He had a superhuman look out of his eyes that he would just look a hole right through you. Jim could make you a believer. He didn't have to perform again. Jim, though long gone, is clearly still popular with locals. 
And while Jim's story starts in humble beginnings, it spreads far beyond the borders of Marshall to bigger cities, larger audiences, and more challenging tasks. Jim's legend eventually lands him in Ripley's Believe It or Not and on Animal Planet. So how did a bird dog from Missouri ascend to such stardom? And what out of Jim's so-called supernatural abilities was actually possible? Welcome to Show Me the State, the program where we explore the strange, misunderstood stories of Missouri's past and try to figure out what really happened, why did it happen, and how has that shaped the state today? I'm Christopher Husted. I'm going to take a quick break here to put some other shows on your radar. KBIA has two other podcasts to check out. The Obvious Question takes on the assumptions, misconceptions, and ignorance others have about people with disabilities. And the True False podcast goes beyond the film festival to explore documentary with filmmakers. Find those and show me the state at kbia.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to KBIA 91.3 FM. Now, back to the program and the Jim the Wonder Dog story. To figure out what Jim the Wonder Dog was actually capable of and why he matters so much, we have to go back to Jim the Basic Puppy. I'm using a few guides to help me fill in the holes along the way. One is the 1942 book written by Clarence Dewey Mitchell. Jim is a Lulin setter, born of pure blood champion field stock in Louisiana. His head is mostly black with floppy ears. He has a fluffy white chest. Black speckles cover his white snout and legs. Jim meets avid hunter Sam Van Arsdale in 1925 at Sam's Southern Missouri Hotel. Well, there was a man staying at the hotel there in West Plains who was from Louisiana, and uh, he was bragging about he had a new uh, litter of pups of purebred Llewellyn setters. And... Uh, he said he'd sell that somebody there, a pup, for $25. Larry Arrowood is the premier gym expert in Marshall. He also runs a museum. Uh, Sam already had two dogs of his own. He didn't, wasn't interested, and he thought that was overpriced anyway. He wasn't going to pay for $25 for some dog he didn't even see. And he said, besides that, he says, I can take any dog and make him a hunting dog. I don't need your overpriced dogs. But in the end... Sam couldn't say no to that puppy dog's eyes, and he takes him home. He names him Jim, after the 1920 silent film called Just Call Me Jim. Sam plans to add him to the family as a hunting dog. Jim has other ideas. They were out hunting one day, and they got out of the car, and there was a bunch of thorns along the side of the road there. Sam said, uh, go find some quail. Jim just sat there. And pretty soon, I uh, said again, go out and go, Jim, find some quail. Jim didn't budge. And about that time, he said, well, I'm going to have to whip you then. So he grabbed a stick up off the ground and started after Jim. Jim is not about to get punished. So he runs up to the truck with Sam trailing, stick in hand. Jim turns around the truck, and then again, and then again. Like a cartoon, Sam is chasing Jim around in a circle, getting madder with every lap. The more they ran, the madder Sam got, and pretty soon... 
he got tired of running. He started laughing. He said, this is ridiculous. And here's him out in a grown man chasing the dog around the car. <laughs> and so he just threw the stick away and said, come on, Jim, I'm not going to whip you. <laughs> that was the last time he ever whipped Jim or any other dog. There is more to Jim's reasoning here, though, which Sam learns a little later. But Sam, talking out loud to Jim, says, let's go sit down under the hickory tree. Jim stands up and walks right to the hickory tree. Hmm. So just out of fun, he said, well, let's move over to the elm tree. And so Jim moved over to the elm tree. That, that's a little odd. And he said, well, how about a pecan tree? There was a pecan tree there. And he said, let's go over the pecan tree. And he moved over there. Sam repeats the request for other trees and stumps. He had to rest a minute and think about this. He had a dog that understood what he was telling him and all these things. And now everything starts to make sense for Sam. Remember when Jim went hunting and didn't budge? He also knew where all the quail was, which made it real easy because he wouldn't even get out of the car unless there was quail there. They'd go driving down the road and looking for a place to hunt. And, and uh, if there was no quail there, Jim wouldn't even get out of the car. But if he, there was quail there, he'd start you know, going like that with his paw at the window and say, oh, you know, let's go. Sam realizes Jim is special. Sam rushes home and tells his wife, Pearl. He tells his friends in town. She tells hers. He tells guests at his hotel. Word of Jim's special talent spreads throughout Marshall. And Sam starts showing Jim off. At the local cigar shop, Jim, show the man which cigar I smoke. At the barber shop, Jim, pick out the man who asked for fishing flies. At the hotel, Jim, show me the guest staying in room 13. Groups of two, five, ten gather when they hear Sam is coming by to see if Jim is with him. Jim's star begins to rise as he traverses the state. To the fair in Sedalia, where Jim correctly picks out the tuba player in the band. To St. Louis, where he picks out the Western Union messenger when asked who sends telegrams. When people ask Sam how a dog can do this, he simply says, all I know is Jim can answer any question I ask. Some people believe him, some do not. And deep down, even Sam is curious. He reaches out to the academics at the University of Missouri to get Jim tested. Okay, and remember, all of this buzz is happening at a time when the U.S. is hitting rock bottom economically. It's the Great Depression. But people love finding out where Jim is performing next. I think it was something to uh, talk about and attach themselves to that was positive and that they uh, could tell other people about it something uh, special. And uh, they needed something special, I guess, to talk about at that point. While Jim did occasionally fail, the welcome distraction of his growing celebrity gives him an early retirement option from full-time bird dog to full-time companion pet, complete with special treats and a prime spot in Sam and Pearl's bed. They didn't have children, and a dog can... I know couples that decided not to have kids, which sometimes seems like a good idea, you know? <laughs> and their dog is like their child. Author Marty Rhodes Figley grew up in Missouri, and she also wrote a book on Jim. And so I think he was kind of like a child. And then to have these extraordinary... Uh, whatever they were, ability or skill or what the mystery of Jim or whatever, I think he probably became um, just really uh, just part of their identity. I mean, they, I don't know, they were the owners of Jim the Wonder Dog, 
you know? Sam puts Jim's image on a Highway 65 billboard advertising Rough Hotel, home of Jim the Wonder Dog. Like many parents, it's hard not to brag about your kids, or in Sam's place, Jim. Jim even picks FDR to win the presidency and the World Series winner, the New York Yankees. That's a skill a betting man, which Sam really wasn't, could exploit. And a threat to be aware of as rumors of a clairvoyant dog swirl. They were down in Florida. First they had attended a horse race, and I guess this one time he let Jim pick and they picked a winner. So maybe word got out. Well, while Sam was out sightseeing and running errands, the bellman takes Jim for walks. Funny thing is, he walks Jim over to the track a few times. And he started uh, uh, working with Jim at the races and winning money off of Jim at the races. Word gets around that Jim has the edge in picking winners. Uh, the Vinarsdales got this threatening letter probably from the irate bookies or the mob or something saying, you get out of town or something bad's going to happen. Sam did just that, and Sam remained decidedly protective over Jim. Okay, so if you remember, Sam had reached out to the University of Missouri to help him answer why Jim is so special. Well? They got a hold of the University of Missouri and the uh, veterinary department, and uh, Dr. Durant was uh, in charge of it at the time. And he said, will you examine him and see if you can figure out why it is he's got these special abilities. Sam brings Jim to the campus where hundreds of people have gathered. This is Jim's biggest test yet. Jim first meets with Dr. A.J. Durant and Dr. Sherman Dickinson, who poke and prod the dog as they examine him. Dr. Durant says physically, Jim's eyes are more prominent and the middle portion of his cranium is broad, but otherwise he's ordinary. But as a part of that, they took him out onto the campus and, and uh, put on a, a, a test, I guess, or a demonstration of what Jim could do. It has all been building to these tests. Even Paramount Studios sends a cameraman to record the tests. There's various uh, professors there and a bunch of students had heard about it and got a pretty good crowd there. Sam and Jim make their way to the quad by Jesse Hall. The crowd is waiting. Sam and Jim look at each other, and then the tests begin. One professor asks Jim to pick out the letter O on the Paramount truck. Jim walks over to the O. Everyone claps. Another professor asks Jim in Italian, Jim, prendi l'olmo. Pick out the elm tree. Easy. Yet another asks Jim in French to pick out a license plate. Jim, apporte-moi une plaque d'immatriculation. Applause. In German, Finde das Mädchen in blau gekleidet. Find the girl dressed in blue. In Spanish, find the man with the black mustache. Jim, encuentra al hombre con el bigote negro. Jim, 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 Jim. And then the professors try to trick Jim. One asks him something in Greek. And Jim just sat there and didn't do anything. Sam says, well, do what they told you to do, whatever it is, tell you to do it. You're making me look bad. And, uh, and Jim just sat there. Pretty soon the professor started laughing. He said, I just said some of the Greek alphabet. I didn't tell him to do anything. And so he, he's a smart dog. 
Dr. Dickinson says he's the smartest dog he's ever seen. Dr. Durant, the head veterinarian at the university, stays skeptical. Only years later, after examining Jim's records again, he, a man of science, concedes that Jim has some type of occult power that may only be seen again in generations. The campus loves Jim, and state legislators clamor to meet him, so he also travels to Jefferson City for a demonstration. Next stop, Hollywood. Paramount liked what they saw on the MU Quad. Sam and Jim travel to California where they have a $364,000 movie offer. The ocean, the stars, the directors. Jim has the opportunity to be the silver screen dog. Before Buck was Clark Gable's companion in Call of the Wild. Before the Wicked Witch of the West threatened Toto and Dorothy. And before Lassie comes home, gets a sequel and a TV series to save Timmy. But something doesn't sit right with Sam. The people, the scene, we don't have a lot of information on what exactly his motivations were. The movie would take a year, a year away from Pearl, who had remained at home, painting pictures of Jim. So Sam turns the movie down, and together with Jim, they return home. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to KBIA 91.3 FM. You're listening to Show Me the State, our new podcast about folklore in Missouri. We untangle the complicated tales and try to figure out what really happened, why it happened, and why that matters now. If you value this kind of journalism and storytelling, consider going to kbia.org and click the donate button. Okay, now back to the program. So let's take a second to ponder what the heck is going on with Jim. Remember Dr. Durant? Described it as a cult? Basically magic? Dr. Durant said that? But that was back then. And it's the 21st century. Now. Surely we can get some answers today. Nicole Chapel, assistant teaching professor at MU Animal Science Research Center, says there are three categories of things she'd want to try to explain. Jim's gift for picking out items or people in a crowd, his comprehension of foreign languages, and his knack for predicting winners. On the first one, how he picks out people in a crowd, she says we can get some insight by talking about a horse named Clever Hans. Clever Hans came out in the early 1900s, so right before Jim, I think, would be about. And Clever Hans was famous for his ability to count. And so Clever Hans could do substantial math, could do division, all sorts of things. What Clever Hans actually did is, as a horse, he was very, very attentive to humans' body language. And so after many, many tests, they realized that what he could do is he could notice you start to hold your breath as he got close to the right number, and he would stop pawing in response to that behavior. And so he would paw to a division number, and as he got closer, people would tense up in excitement, and then he would stop. And his handlers and everyone didn't realize this happened until a group of behaviors came in and started doing massive studies on him. Interesting. So this now ties back to Jim, because we know that dogs look to a human for a, um, for a response, for a way to act with their environments. And so if we take basically what's called the Clever Hans effect and apply it to Jim and what we know about dogs, it is very likely that Jim was very sensitive to the humans around him. So if you say to Jim, you know, find me the youngest person in the room, most likely you turned, you looked at that 
person and you stalled on that person. And so seeing where you make eye contact is something dogs do and they will go and they will go up to that thing, that individual, whatever else. Essentially, Jim could have been taking subconscious body language cues from not only Sam, but from people in the audience as well. Number two, how about the different languages that Jim understands? Part of it could be unintentional signals again, but also... We see in all sorts of species that they will communicate with different inflection. And so dogs are hypersensitive to that inflection, to that variation, to that change. So when you think about these different languages, if you're speaking more aggressively, that's going to mean something. Or if you ask a question, they can identify that. Think about how you tell a dog to sit. Other languages may use that same inflection and tone. Sit. And the third question, how did Jim predict election winners and World Series champions? Well, Nicole says that's a little harder to explain. Most of the time, Sam would just write names on pieces of paper and ask Jim to pick. Could be cues, could be luck. Maybe you've heard of Paul the Octopus, who lived in England. He won worldwide recognition after predicting the 2010 World Cup match winners. And if we're going there, the divination of the groundhog, letting us know if winter will linger. Was Paul the Octopus clairvoyant? Could Hans the horse count? Was Jim truly a wonder dog? Nicole says, it's really up to what you believe. We all have, in any culture, we have some sort of beliefs that may or may not be true. And that's not necessarily important because that's what unifies us sometimes as a society. So I think it's important in our societies that we have these unifying moments, especially when we have divided moments in our um, culture, in our world, whatever else. I think having these things to rally around gives us something fun and gives us something energetic and is definitely important to our livelihood as a human population. We are not here to burst the bubble on the magic of Jim. Jim is special because what he did is unique. Jim was with the right human at the right time in the right era. And at the heart of it, that's what Missouri needed during a tough time. That's why Marshall residents cherished this story, because they believe in Jim and what he represents. I think part of it is just they uh, uh, know Jim was a special story and they uh, think it's something that uh, they can talk about. And it is kind of amazing if you travel around to other parts of the state or other parts of the country and you say you're from Marshall, Missouri, you'd be surprised how many times somebody said, don't you have some kind of a famous dog or something? Well, I think they were proud of him. He was unique, and I think his connection to Marshall was unique, and so therefore uh, it kind of gave Marshall a special identity history like that, it, it helps us understand who we are. Toward the end of Jim's life, he developed a shoulder problem. Sam took Jim back and forth to the pet clinic. And even there, Jim performed. They also said that whenever the phone would ring all day long, Jim would ignore it. But when Sam called to find how he was doing, he'd go and look at the phone. He knew that Sam was calling. Finally, one day after a hunting trip with Sam, Jim collapsed. Sam rushed him to the clinic, but there was nothing they could do. Jim died in 1937 at the age of 12. Jim had one last trick up his sleeve, though. As beloved as Jim was in the community, 
Marshall officials wouldn't grant Sam's request to bury Jim in Ridge Park Cemetery. That Marshall Cemetery was people only. No dogs allowed, no exceptions. So Sam buried Jim on the land right next to the cemetery. Of course, Jim got the last laugh on that because later on they expanded the cemetery and now he's in the cemetery. <laughs> and uh, if you go out to visit his grave, it's right in with all, everybody else. And uh, uh, of course, the reason they wanted because the Van Arsdales had their own plot out there and they want him buried with there, just like their children or anybody else. Cause they consider him as a, as a member of their family. His stone simply reads, Jim, the Wonder Dog. Today, it's the most visited site in the cemetery. Show Me the State is produced at KBIA at the Missouri School of Journalism. Jai Shi produced this episode. The supervising producer and reporter is me, Christopher Husted. Our managing editor is Ryan Fumuliner. Our theme music and original scoring was created by Columbia band Loose Loose. Special thanks to our voice actors from the University of Missouri, Roberta Tabanelli, Christian Krunin, Pablo Serna, and Meredith Wright. Author Marty Figley Rhodes' book is called The True Story of Jim the Wonder Dog. Thanks also to the Reynolds Journalism Institute and to the Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy.